Yeah, Lord Jesus, we, we are humbled to be here today in the presence of holiness and with an attitude of thankfulness we come now and we say, open our hearts and our mind and our eyes to the things that you have for us that we may see the God of glory and we may know your holiness that we may be transformed into the image of your Son. Amen. Thanks very much to the worship team once again. It's always difficult. I've, uh, I never want to stop those moments of just being able to worship. And, um, but as we know, worship is not just singing songs. It's a, it's a life choice. It's a way we live. We live as worshippers. So even now as we start to look at Scripture, we're going to be still worshipping because we're still going to be pouring out worth to God. Um, I, I think Mark's done all the announcements, so I don't even need to do that. I can just crack straight on with what I've got today. Um, so we're going to be looking at the, the birth of Jesus. I thought it would be appropriate this time of the year, something we could do. We don't do it often. Um, seems like this would be a good time to do it. Mark looked about a bit about it uh, last week, um, and he looked at the, the, the word of peace and what this means at this time of year. Um, and if we were following the Advent uh, calendar at this time, I would be probably speaking on joy. I looked at it... Um, and I've decided to go a completely different way. I hope there is joy in the end in what I say, but it's probably a little bit different to what uh, a lot of you would expect at this time of the year. So if, I'm just hoping it comes together. I'm really praying. So the whole time I'm speaking to you today, I'm praying desperately that God brings together what I feel he's, he's put on my heart today. So we're going to read from Luke chapter 2. Um, and we'll read from verse 1 to verse 15. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, Uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time come for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is a story of a child being born. Uh, And I remember the stories my mum used to tell me of different ones of my siblings and I being born. Uh, not, Not the gory details, but the stories leading up to the birth. And one of the stories I remember was my, uh, my sister, uh, my elder sister, um, was about to be born and my mum my was in labour, the waters had broken, the contractions had started. And she says to my dad, quick, we need to get in the car and go to the hospital. So they're in the car and my dad's driving my mum to the hospital and as he's driving he sees a shop that he remembers he has to buy something in this shop. And he just says to my mum, he goes, do you mind if we just stop? I'll just quickly duck in and grab this. And, uh, and of course, my mum said, no, my, name's Mike, uh, my dad's name's Michael. And whenever my mum uses his name in that, she goes, Michael, like this. <laughs> Michael, no. This is mum telling me the story. And so my dad goes, okay, okay. Drives to the hospital, gets to the hospital, And the contractions stop. My dad turns to my mum and just says, I could have made it. (laughs) My mum's reply in that moment was, he was lucky I was pregnant at the time because I could have killed him. This is a story that my mum tells me. And my dad sits, and every time my mum tells it, dad's in the room sitting and he's just got this smile on his face as he sits with his story. Another story my mum tells me is when I was um, to be born, uh, my mum was at home and my dad was playing golf. And he had, he had played nine holes of golf and he was back in the clubhouse just having a drink before he did the next nine holes. Now, it was unfortunate perhaps for my dad because at that moment my mum rang up the golf club and said that I'm in labour, you need to come home now and take me to the hospital To which my dad said, do you mind if I finish off the last nine holes? (laughs) Once again, my mum goes, Michael, no. And off he goes. uh, And and I I I was quicker than my sister, so it was all right. Dad didn't have the time anyway. But we have these stories of people being born, and sometimes they're they're humorous or they, they, they let us into an insight into a family life. But most of the time when we hear stories of people or children being born, it is always one that gives us joy. It is one that actually lifts our hearts. Often we hear these stories, and even in the stories I've told, there's a story that actually we can, we know something actually is very difficult about to happen. A child is going to be born. But in that moment, there is also that anticipation of joy on its way. With my three children when they were born, I only had time to see Isabel 
born. My two boys didn't even wait for me to finish. Well, Isaac didn't even wait for me to finish ringing up my work to say I couldn't make it. And he was born as I was on the phone telling work at home in the bedroom. Uh, he was ready to be born. Then Jonathan, uh, I was, it was going to be a home birth because we thought, well, we're not going to make it to the hospital anyway. We didn't get there with, with Isaac. So with, with Jonathan, we'll, say, we'll make it a home birth and why not? We'll, we'll make it a, a water birth. So we had this big tub uh, and Hannah goes into labor and she goes, go fill up the tub for the water birth. So how do I go to fill it up? And before it even half full, Hannah just goes, I'm not moving from where I am. Jonathan also was not waiting for anyone and out, uh, and he wanted, he wanted to get out as quick as possible. So I didn't even get time to appreciate the birth of, of my boys at all because they were just, you know, as they are now, they came out running. Um, whereas Isabel, actually Isabel was a very different time. Um, and it was the first child, so everything is very new and, uh, and just completely overwhelming. And um, we were staying at my brother's at the time, and, uh, and in, early in the morning, Hannah just goes, um, my waters have broken, I've gone into labor. And I'm like, okay, action time. Time for the husband to do the good stuff. I'll get the bag, I'll get everything ready to go, and I'll come over and I'll comfort my wife. So I came over to Hannah and I just was... <laughs> and I came over and I put my hand upon, uh, on Hannah's back to rub it, to say, you know, I've got you, I'm here, We're, we'll get this through this together. And as I put my hand on her back, she goes, don't touch me! And I was like, okay, so I'm, I'm standing there, I'm like... Now I've got no idea what I'm supposed to do. Okay, so I'm just standing there looking at my wife, thinking, what can I do? And my wife, in pain, as the contractions come, she looks up and sees me looking at her, and she goes, don't look at me. I'm like, okay now. So I go to leave the room, and as I go to step out of the room, I open the door thinking, I can't stay in there. I'm not allowed to touch her. I'm not going to look at her. I better leave. And as I go to leave, Hannah goes, don't leave. So now I can't look. I can't touch, and I can't leave the room. So here I am in a corner, just, just doing my best not to get in the way. We eventually get in the car, and we, we make it across to the hospital. And then we get into the hospital, and, uh, and I'm doing really well. I'm not touching, not looking, not leaving the room. And we get into there, and, and, and it all starts to just happen and, come, and, and the, the contractions increase. And, and all I am really at that point in time is I'm a, I'm a person who goes, gets some crushed ice, walks to my wife and gives it to her. And when she finishes that cup of crushed ice, I go back and get more. And in that moment, I'd never known the utter sense of hopelessness. Here I am. I see the one I love most in pain, and I can do nothing. I can't even look at her face. I can't comfort her in any way. And in that moment of, of just hopelessness and thinking like this, this pain and, and there's all this going on and I can't do anything and then my daughter is born. What a joyous moment to be in that room as my daughter is born 
to see her for the first time, to know in that instant, right then and there, I would die for that girl. And I had a nickname for, for Isabel that I've never told anyone or rarely tell anyone. And I used to call her, and I still do, call her Sarita, which is Hebrew for princess. And that moment, there was an overwhelming joy at seeing this life that was in the world now, my daughter. And whatever had gone before, whatever hopelessness, whatever difficulties were overshadowed by this life now living and alive in my hands, and, and it was my daughter. A moment of great joy, even in the midst of what seemed like bizarre difficulty beforehand. My daughter was born to live. And as she came into the world, life has now entered the world, a life that is now going to be so unique that there is going to be things that Isabel does to enhance and to display God in this world that no other human alive could ever have done. And that's my daughter. A great joy. She was born to live. But the birth of Jesus was not like this. You see, right at the very start, the very story starts that there was no vacancy for this one who was being born. The world did not want this child that was being born. And as Jesus was born and entered the world, the very thing that he was born to do was not to live, but was to die. And right at the very start, even in this, as the angels, the very first thing declared as Jesus is born is this, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. Right at the very start, when Jesus is born, Calvary is in the picture. The road that starts the birth of Jesus that says no vacancy is the start that leads to Calvary, death on a cross, on a hill, alone. You see, if we don't need a saviour, we don't need Christmas. Christmas exists because we need a saviour. And in this birth of the Christ, when Jesus is born, he's born to die. And in that moment, it is almost the echoes that is coming of judgment day that God has already told us will be. And when Christ is born, it is not so much a joyous occasion for that moment, but it is a declaration that judgment is certain. When Jesus is born, God is declaring judgment will happen. Death is coming and it will be swift to those who are found in sin. The birth of Jesus is very different. Jesus himself says, I have not come to give peace, but 
I have come to give the sword. He says this in Matthew. He says, there is not peace that he has come, but the sword. In Luke, he repeats that's not, not peace, but division. To divide those who are for God and those who are not. Those who please and those who do not. When Jesus is born, the very echoes of judgment is being mentioned. As if in the days of Noah, when God comes down and tells him, build an ark, Noah, judgment's coming. And that vessel of salvation in Noah's day, where people could run to and be saved and they choose not to. And as the thunderclouds gather and the lightning strikes down and the rain falls and the vessel of salvation is here, judgment is coming and only those who are in the ark are saved. We forget that Christmas is about judgment. Christmas is a declaration and promise of God that judgment is coming. And it may not be what you want to hear today. But this is why we need a saviour. We don't need a saviour so we can have a nice holiday. We don't need a saviour so we can greet each other and say, peace to you. We need a saviour because the storm clouds are gathering. The thunder can be heard. Judgment day is on its way. We need a saviour. And it almost as if when the angel says that there is a Savior born this day, it is then, it is then that the heavens are almost ripped apart as if in that moment as the storm clouds of judgment are gathering, it is then that the glory of God breaks through the judgment clouds and says, glory in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The way to avoid judgment is what the angel has just said here. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. We must know what pleases our God. For this is why Jesus has come. He has come so that he may divide those who do not please God from those who do please God. So it is very poignant right at the very birth of Christ that we must understand what is pleasing to God and what is not. Because this is what Jesus has come. He's come to say, you are in need of a saviour. And it's echoes of, of Joshua and it says, choose this day whom you will serve. When Jesus comes, he is saying, now is a time to decide whether you do things that do not please God or whether you do things that please God. Because Christmas... It declares that a Savior has come to save us from judgment. So we must understand what is pleasing to God. 
to understand what's pleasing. It is also to good to understand what is not pleasing to God. I'm going to start by just reading from Ezekiel 18. 18 verse 30, and it says this, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Death is not pleasing to God. And all things that lead to death are not pleasing to God. He has no pleasure in them. And so he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we may now be able to choose life. Death is a certainty And we have put before us an opportunity in this Christmas time to prepare for ourselves and others a place where we may be pleasing unto God. And he does not please in anything that brings death. There is no pleasure in death to God. So anything that brings death, anything that speaks of it, this is what we should avoid at all costs. I'm going to read Romans 8, which also speaks to us about things that cannot please God. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So there's two things here we've got. The death is no pleasure in death for God. He is not pleased with that at all. Flesh leads to death. That means our carnal nature, doing things our way, rejecting the very laws and commands and purposes of God that he has for us and saying, not your will but my will be done, is flesh, carnal nature, the rejection of God. That leads to death, which is not pleasing to God. No one who lives in the flesh can please God. God has promised peace among those who please him. It is important for us to understand what pleases him. The flesh, our way, our carnal nature does not please him at all. I've started playing this computer game at home and realized, I started playing it this week and realized it consumes, or last week, sorry, consumes more time than it should. And at the end of it, it's interesting how I become more frustrated at the end of playing this game than I do have any joy in playing the game, yet I somehow get drawn back to it. Now, it's a silly little game. It's just an NBA basketball game. And yet I get so frustrated that the little character I'm trying to get to shoot the hoop 
keeps missing and thinking that somehow it's rigged against me and I need to play more until I can beat it. And it draws me in more and more. But it gives me no pleasure. It gives me no joy. It is not pleasing to me. And yet, I somehow desire to do it more. The flesh is subtle. The flesh subtly draws us away from the things that would actually give us pleasure and joy in Christ. And it gives us this false sense, if I just go a little bit more, I'll eventually get that joy I'm looking for. I'll get that happiness if I can make just another shot. If I can just win a couple more games, I'm sure I'll be a lot happier for it. And the flesh draws us subtly away from the things of God. But this is not pleasing to God. And we must know what pleases God is because judgment is coming. Christmas declares it. It is a promise written in stone because the Savior has come. He's come to save us from judgment. So we must know what pleases Him. The flesh cannot please Him. Us doing it our way cannot please Him. So where must we start to know how to please God? Well, we start in one of the, perhaps one of the most well-known verses to do with pleasing God. And that's in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Let me just go a little bit further before that. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commanded as he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. And then it expands this for us to say that only by faith can we please God. So in all of this, we must start. This very starting point we come to is this. Faith that we are in need of a Savior. Faith that Jesus Christ is the only hope for salvation. And we come by believing that he is the Son of God because if we do not believe and have faith in Jesus Christ, then nothing pleases God. There is no back door into this. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are on the wrong side of judgment. Then only by putting faith in Jesus Christ that he was born of a virgin that he died on the cross and that he rose again and that he is now seated in glory. Only then do you pass into the pleasing of the Lord. By faith, by faith, it is the only way to start by pleasing God. And we have this all the way through Scripture. And we have it not just in the New Testament, but all through the Old Testament, this concept, this 
desire, this need to please God. It is not a New Testament or a post-resurrection concept. This is the concept of all of Scripture from Genesis 1 right to the end of Revelation, that this is the way that we live a life pleasing to God. We go back to Chronicles. First Chronicles. In verse 16, we have this amazing thing where, amazing time where all the people of Israel gather together that, that David, King David, is coming to the end of his days and he's just uh, anointing Solomon as his successor, the king in waiting. And in this moment, all Israel together, they are sacrificing before the Lord. They are they're in the place and they are bringing all of their gifts before God. And then David prays this amazing prayer and he says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. You see how this comes to the people of Israel at this time, is that they come together and they come with things to offer and they're offering out of a great abundance. And in fact, they're offering over and above all that would be required of the law and abundantly are they giving. But not because they have to. But because they want to. And in this thing, King David points out, it's not even theirs to start with. God gave it to them. It was his blessing to begin with. And as they pour back to God what it was rightfully his, the thing that comes to them is this. God, you've tested my heart, and you see that my heart desires to please you above anything that I own. And my ways are ordered in such that I want to walk in a way that's pleasing to you no matter what. And out of this comes the abundance of joy. Joy comes out of the uprightness of heart, comes out of those who are choosing to, re- to live and walk in a right way with God. And out of this, out of this, the people are offering freely and joyously to God. But it starts with faith. Faith that they come before a God who will hear them. Faith that comes before a God that, that, that they know has given them all things. That these things that they have are nothing more than a gift to them that they are giving back to God. And in that moment, in that moment of giving, the joy is overwhelming And they are joyous in their praise and adoration of God. It is pleasing to God, those who walk in uprightness. If we turn to Colossians 2, this also tells us what is pleasing to God.
Colossians 1, 9 to 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. This is a Christmas message. The Savior has come to transform, transfer us from darkness into light. This is the story of Christmas, that judgment is coming and yet a Savior has broken through the storm clouds and has given to us way to please Him. Here, the Apostle Paul is speaking about how we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that is fully pleasing to Him. That is such good news. Because of it only to those who please Him is peace coming. And here we have evidence. We have the very thing we need that we can be fully pleasing to God. We can have this peace that was declared at the birth of Christ. We can walk in a way that is worthy and fully pleasing. This is great news. This is the Christmas message. And in this we see the very story of the cross in action that Christ is going to be the one who goes to the, the death itself to bring us into a kingdom that can never be shaken. A kingdom that will know no end. And in this we will have joy and peace as we fully please him. And if we look to Yeah, I won't. And if you want to know the very things you need to do to please God, First um, Thessalonians chapter four. I encourage you to read. We won't do that now, but this is entitled "The Very Way in Which We Can Walk in a Manner That Is Pleasing to God." Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter four. I encourage you read this very chapter, and you will see the very essence of what the practicality of living a life. That is pleasing to God. And in that, the Apostle Paul goes through all kinds of things that you shouldn't do so that you would not be discounted in walking a life pleasing to God.
So as Jesus was born, Calvary was declared as a solution. As Jesus was born, the judgment clouds were split open by the glorious light that said that God will bring to those whom are pleasing to him his peace. Christmas is here because we desperately need a saviour. But we start with faith. And 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us all the things that we can do that help us live a life that is pleasing to God. But the ultimate knowing of a way to please God is, is that we are found in God. And this is where it comes when we read here in just under in Colossians 15, first chapter and verse 15. It says this. This is about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and, in, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is how we fully please God, is by having the fullness of Jesus Christ, the Godhead, dwelling within us. That is the only way we can please God. We cannot please him by doing things. We please him by being, by believing, by faith that Jesus Christ is now living in us. And because God was pleased that the fullness of God would dwell in Jesus, now that Jesus dwells in us, it is pleasing to God that the fullness of God dwells in us. This is the story of Christmas. The fullness of God dwelling in us pleases God fully. What an amazing story. What a glorious truth. Christmas is a story that speaks of judgment. And we must not forget that judgment is coming. When we're in our homes and we're gathered with our families and we're experiencing nice moments, the warmth of a fire or the, the, the warmth of fellowship or the, the warmth of our cosy rooms, let us not forget that the only thing that can warm the dead soul is Christ living in us. This Christmas story is one that says, I am no longer 
dead and in darkness, but I have now come into light and into wholeness and into life because my Savior has come. Christmas is a declaration that we have a way out of judgment and that it is only by pleasing God. And we can only please God if by faith we believe that the fullness of God dwells and lives within us. So this Christmas, prepare. Prepare your house, prepare your hearts, prepare a way that is pleasing to God. Every day we must learn to adore Him. Oh, come, oh, come, and adore Christ the Lord. We must prepare our place for him because only when he dwells fully in us are we fully pleasing to God and only then will we receive the peace that comes with Christ's birth. Let me end with this. From Hebrews chapter 13. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. When Christ lives in us, when Jesus lives in us, it is he who is working out the pleasures of God. It is him who is working out in us the ways that we may please God. So by faith we must have Christ in us and then the working out becomes Just very simple because we are doing nothing more than allowing him to work in us the very thing that he longs to do, which is to please God. The reason why we have Christmas, the reason why Christ has come is is we are in need of a Savior. And this Savior has come so that he may dwell within us. And in that indwelling, it is then Christ who works in us. He's at work in us, bringing forth in us that which is pleasing to God. By faith, we must believe this as well. That is not our own effort or our own works, but the ending of all of God working in us, that which is pleasing, is that Christ may be glorified in heaven. That which is pleasing is Christ in us. Us working out what is pleasing is glorifying Christ on high. So as we lead up to Christmas now, as we remember the Christmas story that the Savior was born because 
judgment is coming. Let us prepare in our hearts ways which we may please him. Let us lay aside those things that would hinder us from allowing the working of Christ in us to bring forth things that please the Father. And every day may we just be able to say with a heart, we adore you, O Christ, our Saviour. For you have come that we may live, that we may live in your kingdom of light and die no more. And as we've been singing today, death has no victory. It has no sting. It cannot in any way harm those who are now pleasing to God. Do you not understand how great a good news this is? How fantastic this is that you who have Christ in you are pleasing, not just partly, not just some of the time, but are fully pleasing to God. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. I, in my frailty, in my whimsical ways of wanting to play more of a computer game and somehow the fullness of God living in me is still working through that which is pleasing, not perhaps in the flesh, but in those moments when I come out and I stand fully, fully in Christ. And then the pleasure that the Father sees because I am in Christ. The story of Christmas is the story of the Saviour working in us. That was his pleasing to God. Let me pray and then we'll go. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you... that you put aside your glory in heaven, that you came down into earth, that you became the incarnation on earth, God in human form. And as we look at that amazing event in that transformed all of history when you were born in a manger, in a lowly town of Bethlehem. The heavens declared and the angels cried out, Today a Saviour is born. And in that moment, you, prepare, you prepared a way so that we may now be found in you. And we look that this day and the days to come as we lead up to Christmas, we may look to you as the Saviour and with faces shining with the pleasure of God because you are in us, we can say, we adore Christ our Lord. And we pray that as we go forward, we may prepare in our hearts, in our homes, may we prepare a place that is pleasing for you. May we prepare our hearts, for you are the one who discerns and sees our hearts. May we prepare our hearts that they may be pleasing to you in all that we do. And as we remember Christmas, may we remember that we have the fullness of the pleasure 
of God within us that is working through us to please the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.